Welcome to Now with Steve Rio. On this podcast, I seek to define what it means to live a good life. How do we stay connected and aligned with our values and our purpose? How do we prioritize what's most important to us? And how do we optimize and make the most of the time we have in this life? Today's conversation is with Zach Berman. He's the co-founder of The Juice Truck in Vancouver. And he's a husband and a father and a very interesting guy that I was really grateful to have the chance to sit down with. This conversation went deep. We talked about a whole range of things. We talked about Zach's personal development path, relationships, veganism, health and wellness, spirituality, life and death, psychedelics, and so much more. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Steve Rio. And if you're interested in learning how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system to help you live life to its fullest. You can find us online at natureofwork.co or on Instagram at the same, at natureofwork.co. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. It's nice to see you, Zach. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah, man. I'm trying to think the last time we spent time. I remember sitting with you in the juice truck on 5th, 5th Avenue. Yeah. Was that the last time, maybe? We went for a walk, like... Yeah. That was a a while ago. Like... Time is fast these days. Last... Was it last spring, or is it longer than that? Might have been longer. Yeah, it might have been. It's interesting these days with everything going on with kids, business, and... Yeah. Do you... Yeah, do you find that you see your friends very often or do you make how do you what's that like for you? Yeah, um I'd say like with work I get a lot of social fix there. Yeah. So I'm pretty tired in a social sense by the end of the day. Um I do see my friends when once in a while, but uh I don't have that same like social desire that I did when I was younger before the business. Yeah. Also working with um, with Ryan, who's one of my best friends and Lauren, who's our ops man- manager. We've known, I've known since I was like 12, she's one of my closest friends. So we kind of have that social circle at work as well. Yeah. So kind of checks the boxes. Yeah. I, I feel like that. Yeah, that's totally true. And uh, well, it's so interesting. I want to get into that with you about the different people you're working with, but, um, I guess I feel like, cause right now I have an older child, but all yes. of my friends have young kids. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I basically, you know, a few times a year we invite some friends up and we just say, bring your kids up to Bowen and yeah. everybody comes. But otherwise it's really hard to get people together these days. It feels like, totally. I wish somebody had told me, Hey, just, just prepare. Cause in yeah. your thirties and probably into your forties, yeah. your friends are going to be gone. You won't see anyone. And then we'll see everybody will come <laughs> back. Like when we're 45 or 50 yeah. or something, Yeah, yeah. we get our friends back and should, our lives back a little bit. Should we make some plans for when we're 50? Yeah, we should. Like we should get in the calendar now. <laughs> it's going to be a busy social time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We can... Kind of bi-weekly by then. Yeah, totally. I'll be, I'll be bored and looking to hang out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to start with just asking you about um, your connection with nature. I think that's a big part of who you are. Yeah. Um, 
how how long is has that always been something for you or uh yeah i would say like unintentional growing up it was and it became kind of more intentional as i learned um that i had a connection or appreciation to to being in nature my family always rented a cabin in pender island for a couple of weeks every summer that was kind of in the middle of nowhere and that was always our happy time um so that was just like without boundaries exploring the forest like making our own trails climbing trees getting lost trying to get found um so you know my sister and i and who kind of whoever came up and visited us at pender kind of had that that love of exploring just from going to this cabin year after year and we still go there take our kids there now really the um, same cabin same cabin wow. yeah yeah it's actually kind of a cool place it was um the south africans arrived there um in like 1901 on a boat and they didn't even know where they were going they just like wow. landed built a farmhouse and it's kind of in the middle it's it's on the water but there's no there's no other properties within like a couple kilometers at the very least so you you feel like you kind of have this idyllic you know water waterfront forest mountains all around you amazing um, it's pretty cool yeah yeah and um how does i guess how does how has nature played a role in your in your adult life like in the last decade how has it played a role for sure so um prior to launching the juice track uh, my business partner ryan and i um we we're both always into hiking on weekends um you know kind of the more approachable hikes at that time in, in Vancouver, like, you know, doing the grouse grind or the chief are kind of the more, maybe you'd say like the basic or go kind of entry level mm -hmm. hikes. Um, but we kind of decided after university that we wanted to go uh, to Nepal and um, we wanted to go hike to base camp and Annapurna. So we kind of spent, um, a lot of the time when we were 23 years old, uh, you know, hiking through the Annapurnas, hiking through the Himalayas in, in India and, and Nepal. And um, that kind of just that freedom of spending eight to 10 hours a day walking uh, in nature gave a lot of clarity and time to contemplate things. And that eventually kind of led to the ideas for our business by just allowing us that that free space that that nature kind of gives you yeah it's it's something i talk about in nature of work all the time is just hey just get out and create space for yourself yeah because you just do a lot of processing out there how old totally. would you have been when on during that trip i was 23 i was pretty young yeah um and we like prior to that you know i'd done a lot of backpacking through south america and hiking yeah. through through the mountains down there um but this was kind of this time in nature really kind of was was led led directly to what would become our business so yeah. um i always advocate you know if you're in a rut or you don't know what to do like go travel go spend time in nature allow that space away from your phone like we don't allow ourselves to be bored or uh to have empty space anymore we fill it up by picking up our phone or scrolling instagram or going on our computers there's there's so much distraction now so nature is one of those places where it's kind of like an activity that allows you to have that that empty space in a yeah way. it's so good even i even think it's funny on monday 
Because I I 100% believe that. I preach that. I teach that in Nature of Work. Yeah. And then on Monday, I was having this really rough day prepping for a live talk I was giving the next day. And I was struggling with it. And I was just sitting at my computer. And the next morning, I woke up and was like, why didn't I follow my own rules? Just I should have gone for an hour and a half walk in the yeah, afternoon. Yeah. Like I should have just dropped everything Yeah, because I would have just figured it out that way. It would have been so much easier. You totally. Know? Just by lowering the pressure, spacing out a bit. Yeah. So I try to do that because I, I do that almost every day um, too. Do you? Are you able to fit that time into your days and weeks? Like how do you, what do you do? Um, I don't get out to hike Not as hike much as I used but, to, but um, I do try to make a habit of if, uh, I've gotten really into cycling uh, in the last couple of years and and a bit into running. So if it's if it's nice out, I'll I'll make sure that I either have my bike with me or a pair of runners and I'll go for at least an hour um, right or whatever time I have, whatever window I have. And I find that really kind of if I'm stressed or anxious or trying to figure out, uh, you know, need some creative thinking uh, to kind of take place for work or just need to decompress from family life or work life, uh, totally feel ready to go for whatever's next after that, that yeah. hour, whatever, whatever hit I get from being outside. Yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, I totally agree. And do you, um, I guess it must be interesting cause you then lead by example with your staff, your staff at, at Juice truck, do your, the team, do they do similar things? So they get out a bit, do you think? Or? Um, I, so Lauren, who I mentioned, who we've known for a long time, like we try to do one meeting a week where we're either going for a walk or going for a run or doing something that involves movement to kind of just get out of the practice of just sitting at a desk next to each other. Because um, I think there are limitations to how how you think when you're sitting in front of a computer. Similarly to like, you know, there's differences how you think if you're writing, you know, by hand versus typing on a keyboard, just kind of changing up your routine or, or your environment invites different uh, processes for thinking. So we try to do at least one meeting a week where we do something like that. Um, I'd say some of our staff prescribe to that. Others don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's an individual thing. Yeah. Not everybody wants to go (laughs) sweat or, you know, go for a run or whatever. Yeah. It's funny when you have a small team in the early days, everyone's kind of on the same page and then you start to have a bigger team and you realize people are going to have their unique ways of going about life and you just got to respect that, I guess. Totally. Like I'd say for Ryan, if he needs to, so Ryan, my business partner, uh, if he needs to decompress, like he should go watch a TV show or a movie or something like that. And that kind of frees his mind. Uh, more so like if you went for a run, he'd probably just be like annoyed with us the whole time. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so you and Ryan have known each other for, since you were basically kids. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. We met, uh, I think we were like grade five or four or something like that. Wow. Ryan's dad was our soccer coach. And so we played soccer together for years and then we went to high school together and kind of became really close then. Uh, my dad had a small business and we worked together every every summer. And kind of at that point, looking back uh, to when we launched the business, we kind of had that experience of working together every summer and we knew we had really complementary skills that uh, were different, um, but worked well together. Um, So we kind of had, prior to launching a business, we had like 10 years of work experience together. So we kind of had that foundation. Wow. And I'm just so interested, like that's such a long time to be that close to a single yeah. person, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, especially when you're working, like it's one thing to be best buddies with somebody, but it's another yeah. thing to work intimately with somebody every day. Totally. Um, how, 
I guess I'm also interested in, obviously you, you've personally, you've each personally developed a lot uh, since you've been friends and since you work together. For sure. How do you, how do you guys continue to stay on the same page or just stay as close as you are while you're both just developing in life? I think a few things. Uh, one, I think because we are such good friends, we have a lot of respect for each other. Um, so, you know, if we have a difference of opinion on something, I think our, our respect for each other comes before, um, you know, our personal entitlement or our ego or whatever. So um, we both want each other to be happy. Um, I think we also don't take things too seriously. So, you know, we can have stressful conversations in light ways. Um, and not get too worked up about things. And if, if we are stressed out, like two different things stress us out, I'll get stressed out about something and Ryan will kind of make fun of it. And that kind of lightens the, what I'm stressed out about and vice versa. Like he'll be really worked up about something. I'll be like, oh, that's not a big deal. And that'll kind of just bring things down a bit. Um, but I'd say like ultimately just our respect for each other as, as people and individuals and, uh, we were friends first, and I think our friendship will probably, you know, be longer than, you know, what our business is. So yeah. uh, we kind of see things that way and allows us to navigate, uh, you know, most most uh, most parts of the business. Yeah, that's that's great. And have you have you had um, have you had periods where you were really angry at each? Have you ever been in a place where you guys were? actually in a f real fights or is that just not really i think really, we're able eh? to as long as we you know communicate properly yeah we, t we talk every day so uh multiple times so as long as our communication's open um you know once a year we try to kind of do our bigger goals and see if we're still on the same page and personally know, and business or? personally and business because cool. you know i've got a family ryan's not at that point in his life yet. So we kind of have different objectives and just making sure that with our personal lives, we're still moving forward at the same, same pace or close to the same pace with the business. Yeah. Um, I'd say right now, just having a young family like Ryan's working harder than I am. Uh, but hopefully when he has a family, I'll, my, my kids will be a little bit older. Yeah. And, and you can switch, to, switch off. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in theory that should work, but we'll see. Huh. Yeah, and in the business, are you guys um, pretty clearly like? Do you approach business, and do you sort of approach different aspects? Is one more of the operator and one more of the visionary, or how do you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ryan, Ryan's more of the operator, um, and I kind of work more on the development, the long term vision, that sort of stuff. So, yeah. um, obviously, we cross over a lot, um, just the nature of small business. But we kind of he respects my decisions in that lane. And I know him being like the kind of the chief implementer or operator. He's, I respect his decisions. Cause I know, you know, if I try to wear that hat, it's, it's not going to go as well. So, yeah. um, just kind of acknowledging each other's skill sets and allowing both of us to kind of live in that space. Cool. Was that an organic process or did, was there points where you re like, at what point did you realize, okay, you're the operator and I'm this, yeah, it was, pr it was probably organic, um, yeah. just the things that we naturally levitated to. Um, you know, anything financial, Ryan was like, you know, getting down and planning everything out. And, you know, obviously I need to know those things, but it didn't light me up to, you know, crunch a bunch of numbers and do all the projections and stuff like that. I like to see it after and then analyze it. Um, but I'm not that good at, you know, building those systems and those structures. And, and Ryan kind of lit up more with that, whereas... 
I'm, you know, always thinking about where the business can go and new projects we can work on and new collaborations and the menu and yeah. um, kind of just trying to direct the the boat yeah. in the right direction. That's so great that you can both stay in your lane and respect each other's because it perspective because I think it, it, an operator naturally looks at things more about what yeah. are the problems and and you being kind of thinking about the future you don't really want to think about those things you're always two steps ahead right for sure and that can for some people like I actually I had an experience in my first business me and my business partner I look back and I think wow we were really the exact right fit of this integrator visionary but we yeah. both didn't get that yeah and so I'd be frustrated with him kind of bogging me down yeah, and he'd sure. be frustrated with me being so optimistic and out, yeah. and out, out way ahead, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, it's good to, it's, it's neat that you guys have that, that bond and, and, and then also that understanding of one another. Yeah. I, I think like over the years, I don't read as many business books now. I kind of stick more to fiction cause I find it kind of is better for my mental space and just helps me think creatively and excites me more um business books i always read really slowly and takes me like two months to get through but um you know over the years reading some business books helped kind of clarify like, oh okay that's that's what we're doing um we just haven't really brought language to it or acknowledged it so like i think i've chatted with you some of these books before like rocket fuel was really good like e-meth it kind of just talked about those roles and it helped us kind of identify what we were already doing but yeah. Rocket yeah. Fuel is transformative for me and just really clarifying those two pieces. Yeah. Um, what other, is there any other, if, if there was like one or two key books, maybe it's those, but are there others that are like the key where you like aha books for you? Um, like for, for business. Yeah. Um, Rocket Fuel was really good. Um, I like the hard thing. I think it's called the hard thing about hard things. I love that book. Ben Horowitz, I think. Is that who it's by? Yep. Um, just about difficult conversations and, and difficult periods of business. Uh, E-Myth is, is maybe a more basic one, but I thought at the time that I read it, it was really made, brought a lot of clarity to kind of what we were doing. And I wished I'd read it before launching a business. Mm-hmm. Um, on a more, I guess, uh, communicative level, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Don Miguel Ruiz book. Uh, it's, Ooh, I can't remember for something. Oh, the four uh, agreements. Four agreements. I love that book. Just like in terms of how you communicate with people, like not making assumptions and all of that. I thought that was a really powerful book uh, for for a team because I think we bring a lot of that baggage into you know a lot of communication and conversation and relationships. So just I thought that was really helpful for on a business and personal level. Um. Start with Why by Simon Sinek or Sinek. Um, I think a lot of businesses uh, don't think about the why they're doing it. They might think about the the end result or the end game or um, yeah, the, like the net game. Like you know, this is an, there's an opportunity to make money, and that's their why. And they lose. They're missing kind of the genuine nature of totally. And the real, I guess, the real value that you're bringing to the world, right? Yeah. Yeah, if your end result, I mean, obviously we work in a capitalist society, so we all need to to make money. Um, but if that's your only why, um, you know. Yeah, it's pretty, I guess it's it feels pretty hollow. Yes. <laughs> and you can usually spot those businesses. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you can. And I think ultimately, like I, at least for myself, and I think for you too, that um, there's a great deal of, of 
personal reward from doing something that makes people happy and, and like makes people healthier and makes the community better yeah. and is, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think if you're a value driven business, I mean, it's going to bring more purpose for yourself, but it also invite more purpose to your, your customers or your followers. Yeah. Um, cause they want to attach or be a part of that community that, you know, you're, you're hosting space for. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny with bright web. I never really thought about this. Like I just naturally wanted to do the social impact thing. Yeah. I just wanted to work with nonprofits. Yeah. And that was a decade ago when nobody wanted to start an agency for nonprofits. Everyone yeah. thought I was like an idiot for doing that. Yeah. I left my corporate agency to do this. And uh, and only five, six years later did I realize, oh, it's such an obvious advantage when you're hiring. Yeah. When you're, because totally. I had lots of guys who I knew in my peer groups and stuff who would say, how do you get your team to be motivated? Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't know. You don't need to. Tracks like-minded people. Yeah, because the motivation yeah. is built into the value yeah. of what we're delivering to the world. Totally. Right? It's not, yeah, it's there's- You don't need to sell it. No, I don't need to sell it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. And and you, so I didn't know about Lauren, but Lauren is another person you work with that you've known for many years. Yeah, we met at a preteen dance when we were in grade <laughs> six. <laughs> Was Lauren one of your first girlfriends or something? No, or? we never dated. Okay. Uh, she dated some of my friends. Okay. Um, but yeah, we met at like a preteen dance and we were friends ever, oh, wow. ever since. Like, When did she start working in the business? So like similar to us, she did a lot of traveling in her early 20s and she came back from, uh, she was gone for over a year in Vietnam and Asia and um, she was trying to figure out what her career would be and uh, we were like, just come work on it. It was when Ryan and I were working on the, the truck when we had a food truck um, every day. And we're like, just come work on the truck with us. And, you know, you can make some money while you figure out what you want to do next. And So early days. That was seven. Yeah. It's, she's been with us for seven years, I think. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, your wife also works with you in the yeah. business. Yeah. Similar story. She was in fashion for a long time right. and, you know, had kind of climbed that that ladder to a degree and was kind of burnt out from that industry and she didn't know what she wanted to do next. So similar conversation said, you know, we could, she's really savvy. She's a lot naturally more intuitive in business than, than I am and kind of is a mixture of both the skills that Ryan and I have. So she's, she's really quite natural at business. Um, so I said, you know, why don't you, where our business is growing and we could use some administrative help and, um, some, you know, top level leadership help. And why don't you come work for us for a little bit and while you figure out what's next and she's still with us too. That was a few years ago kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It was probably five years ago. Right. Yeah. We, we weren't even engaged. Uh, maybe we were engaged. I don't know. It was, it, we weren't married or anything at that point. Wow. Um, so how, how have you balanced your relationship with her in both working with her, obviously being parents together, yeah. being married? How do you guys do that? Uh, I, th I think fortunately, like a, f a few things, one, we both really enjoy work. So it doesn't feel like that work life, um, kind of blurs together in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not like, uh, at five o'clock you have to cut off work, uh, and, you know, transition all your conversations to something else. Um, so, you know, we're able to, to talk about work in a healthy way. Uh, we also do different things. So we're not, uh, we're not kind of breathing over each other's backs every day at work. Like, so she, she's worn a few different hats. Um, she was kind of doing an HR role 
Um, she's done a sales role for us. She's kind of hopped around and now she's managing our Steveston store. So uh, we've kind of stayed in different lanes and and allowed each other to kind of I see grow in those so lanes. So you have some some space uh, in the business yeah. so that you're not like right next to each other 24 hours a day. Yeah. Because I, I got to imagine too that um, obviously there's work dynamics. And yeah, like when you're both passionate about it, that's kind of something you can talk about in the evening too. But then yeah. you got to go home and be parents and you got to. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Just balancing all that. Yeah. I, I think we talk about work less than we used to just having family and all that kind of fills up more space uh, mentally and and it's just something we want to talk about more yeah. uh, when we get home but uh, yeah we definitely fill different spaces at work so we're kind of not tripping over each other too much right has um has having your wife in the business or just just your partner your life partner in the business has that has that changed how you've shown up at all did it did it adjust anything for you or is it just kind of felt natural? Uh, it felt pretty natural. Um, and not that it wouldn't feel natural, but I don't know. Is it, has that, does it make you, yeah. Has it shifted anything for you in terms of your leadership or whatever? I, I, I guess a few things. I think kind of the way I think about business, I'm probably similar to yourself where I'm always kind of thinking about the next two steps. So I, I probably don't stop enough to kind of acknowledge the present at work. So it, probably wasn't acknowledged as much as it was just kind of something that happened and then we're as onto whatever was next. Um, but I, I do think it made work in a way more how to take it, even though we still take things lightly, I had to take it a little bit more seriously because we were both dependent on the same business for, you know, for our mortgage and our family and all of that. Um, when Megan had a, you know, her own job, you know, she had somebody else paying her. <laughs> so um, just all our eggs were in one basket. So uh, kind of- Raised the stakes. Raised the, raised the stakes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I screwed up, I was screwing things up for both of us, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you share this, but I, I at least for me with BrightWeb, I started it. It was something exciting. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. I, I, we were successful, but I didn't care about the money so much. It was just, yeah. less, this is just a cool, fun thing thing yeah. to do and yeah. then you get a little older and you start to have yeah home and kids and things and you you do you need to mature your your relationship with your business yeah have you have you gone through that i think so just i guess we're all we're about nine years into our business now and i think there's natural ebbs and flows sometimes i'm really excited sometimes i can get into a rut and i can get a little bit bored and i start you know imagining other business ideas or projecting new things. Um, and I think for sure the conversations have changed like more about growth, uh, more about, um, you know, how we can have, I guess more macro conversations versus more micro. Like we're focusing more on the, the impact of the business, like trying to transition to more zero waste, uh, listening to the market more. Um, whereas before, you know, I, I get more stuck into the small things like the social media or, right. you know, things that, you know, are important day to day, but, um, but not your job or you don't need to be, yeah. Yeah. You don't need to be handling those yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Huh. Um, uh, want to shift a little bit and just ask you, it's, it's really interesting to me that you've had these relationships that have, like have gone that long and it strikes me that to, to be able to do that, 
there's a level of personal development that you've had to continually do as as well as anybody who, you know, Ryan, I'm sure has done his, his own. I'm interested in just getting into a little bit about your personal development path and what there's a couple moments that we've talked about that I, we could talk about and also just any, any specific actions you've taken in your life or, or workshops or things that you've done, you know, just what's that path been like for you? And maybe like we talked, I think the earliest one we talked about was something in high school where you had uh, your first, I think, real realization about your own, you're just about your personality. Yeah. Do you want to, can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, growing up, like a lot of people, I was really into sports uh, basketball and soccer were kind of my, my jams and, uh, like basketball was, I was obsessed with basketball. I wanted to play basketball all the time. And, um, you know, I ha- also had, uh, in high school, more anger, uh, you know, like I wanted to, it kind of came with being competitive. I think I wanted to be the best and I wanted to win and all that stuff. So, um, when I was in grade 10, I was, that was kind of probably when I was at the best in basketball, I was, you know, taller than a lot of people, which was an advantage at the time. And, um, you know, I was usually one of the better players of the court at that, that time in in my life. And, uh, we were in a tournament and, um, my halftime, we were, we were up against the team and, uh, some guy came up to me during, during halftime and he, he pulled a knife out and, uh, he was just trying to like rattle me. Like, I don't think he would have actually done anything, but he was like, see you after the game number 23. Like a, like a guy from the other team or just some guy, random guy? Guy. F- guy from the crowd when I was like walking out of the, uh, so kind of got in my head and uh, I told my coach about it and uh, this wouldn't fly today, but my coach told me not to be a pussy and get back on the court. Wow. And so I told my coach off, took my jersey off, threw it on the ground and I left. And, um, I came back to practice the next day and, uh, I was ready to apologize to the team for, you know, one, taking my Jersey off and two ditch, like leaving them during a tournament during a game. Uh, but I didn't feel safe. I felt, uh, I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel respected, felt intimidated. Um, so I felt at that time, you know, even though it was, kind of reactive, I felt like the best thing to do was to remove myself from the situation. Uh, and you're young. I mean, and I was like young. I was 16, 15, 16. Yeah. So um, I walked into practice and my coach was like, Mr. Berman, what are you doing here? You're no longer a part of this team. Um, so long story short, um, I went and played on the senior, because I was grade 10, so I went and played a couple games with the senior team, but then the school decided they backed the coach on his decision to kick me off the team that I wasn't, I was was suspended from basketball for the year. Um, Wow. So it kind of made me not that I don't know if I would have handled things that differently now, but the way I did play basketball and sports was, you know, always really emotional. I left it all on my sleeve and um, just had an, was overly competitive. So I needed to kind of, and I was obviously really upset about not being able to play basketball because that was kind of like my main thing at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I needed to kind of self analyze, you know, what was going on and, and kind of allowed me to take a step back and um, reevaluate things and my attachment to sports or winning or uh, ego or entitlement and all those things, uh, which, 
you know, I was I was fortunate, I think, in a lot of ways that I did get that break from from basketball in a way because um, I got really into my art class at that time and kind of rechanneled a lot of that that energy or that angst um, into to my art classes and eventually that led me to go going to to Emily Carr for university. So had that not happened and uh, allowed me to kind of just take a step back, chill out a little bit, um, realize that, you know, you don't have to win at everything. Uh, you can have fun. Just It's hard you know. feeling like you have to win at everything. Yeah. <laughs> like like it, it's hard being, feeling that competitive. Like it yeah. doesn't make life very no. easy or fun for no. you. Right? No, you could have a good game. Your team could have a good game and you lose and you just like, it's all you can think about for the next, like until the next game at school. Right. Um, so it's not like the healthiest mind space and, um, it allowed me to kind of step back and just enjoy sports for the, the teammanship and the camaraderie. And, um, were you able to make that shift pretty quickly? Yeah, I was. Um, I, I do think I wasn't as good of a player after that, uh, because you know, when we lost, I'd be like, well, it was still fun. Um, so I wasn't as... <laughs> um you didn't have that killer instinct anymore i didn't have the same push that i had prior to that did you have more fun playing i had more fun playing for sure yeah um and we still had good teams and you know so i was able to take a step back and not lose my mind uh how has that translated that those lessons translated into your life today or you know later in life yeah i i I think I was able. I, I've learned a lot from sports over the years. Um, I think sports are good for for a lot of one, like working with people, finding different skills as a team, and and how you can all complement each other. Um, but it it taught me, um, among other things, to just you know take things lightly. You don't have to be so serious about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, like if you're having fun, the longevity of something's going to be a lot. Uh, greater than if you're, you know, super uptight and tense about uh, what the end result is versus just enjoying as cliche as it sounds like, yeah. you know, the journey. Um, so, you know, I played soccer up until a couple of years ago and I played basketball up until a couple of years ago and was able to just enjoy playing. Um, nice. And it's, you know, it's a creative outlet when you're, it's problem solving, it's seeing paths. Uh, yeah. Became more of a outlet versus caring about with the out, you know, when you're losing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it does strike me that in life, if you can go about everything you do that way, then yeah, everything's a lot more enjoyable and yeah, you can't really control the outcome. You can't always no. control if you win or lose, you can practice hard and yeah. to use sports analogies, but the same <laughs> thing, same thing in business or everything, yeah. right? Anything. It's like, all you can do is do your best and have fun doing it. Yeah. The outcomes don't, shouldn't, I mean, if they're the thing that makes you happy or unhappy, you're yeah. in for a really tough ride. <laughs> yeah. Right. A hundred percent. And, uh, I mean, I think that's why I like cycling now or running, like it's more, um, they're group activities, but it's more beyond the the benefits of exploring and adventuring. Like the the gains that I see in improving in cycling are more personal than trying to be better than somebody. Uh, it's just trying to improve as a you know my my own individual self. Yeah. Um. Huh. So cool. And and when and you when we were talking about you going to art school, which I didn't know you were in art school, so that's yeah awesome. Um. 
and like such an interesting path. So did you finish your degree in art school? Yeah. yeah so you, you yeah. did the thing in art. Yeah. So that, I, what did you, what, what, what was your degree? I got a degree in painting. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that set you up to be the entrepreneur that you are today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, what's so interesting though. You said that sports teach you a lot and I'm sure art taught you a lot. Like yeah. I look back cause I was a musician. I didn't go to yeah. business school. I didn't go to any school. Yeah. I went to school, jazz life. school for a few months. Nice. Um, I, I didn't want anybody to teach me how to make music either. So yeah. I dropped out of that. Yeah. But, um, I really look back at how much I learned from music about yeah. how to work with others, how to, yeah. I planned all my shows and I had to organize and produce my albums and yeah. I had to work, you know, there's, and I learned so much about the creative process and how to access that and that, flow states. One. And I didn't, yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I just learned flow states. <laughs> I didn't know what those were. Yeah, I yeah. never heard that term, but I look back now at how much I learned from those years. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's so interesting how you can really, as long as you're, I guess focused on whatever you're doing intently, you you learn what you need to learn. You don't necessarily need to learn it from business school. Totally. Yeah. You're gonna if you wanna start business, you're gonna through the process of doing business, you're gonna learn about business, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but there were same same as your music, there were a lot of tangibles that I, I took away from from art school. Um, like when you share your your work, you know, there's there's a group of, you know, ten or twelve students critiquing your work and you have to be able to separate yourself and right. be able to, you know, take feedback without it being personal. Did you um, ever, did that ever flare you up? Like those, cause that's a, that's a, can be a pretty confronting process. Yeah. I think I kind of did that work prior, prior to going there. Yeah. And like, I never saw myself as I really enjoyed making art, but I never saw myself as like the greatest artist or anything like that. So I always took the feedback really, really well. Right. Um, but people would get upset. Like people would get pissed off. People would cry in these crits. Like, yeah. Uh, Cause they'd feel very attacked when there was really just people were sharing their, their best intention feedback. So yeah. Um, it helped me like see things with their critical, um, critical lens. Uh, it helped me take feedback. Um, uh, yeah, I think the the constructive critical lens was was really helpful for kind of how I viewed things. Like if I'm having a smoothie or testing some food, you know, it helps in in the process. Right. Um, that I give feedback, that I kind of try things, um, and some of the classes I took at Emily Carr, you know, led led to where I am at the juice truck that I might not have taken if I went to a more conventional school. Hmm. Um, that's, that's super cool. And you said it at art school is when you discovered veganism. Yes. Yeah. 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 Prior to that kind of going back to my background in sports, you know, I thought got to eat lots of meat and get the protein and right. Kind of fairly typical in that sense. Like I, you know, hamburgers and wings all the time. And then I went to, to art school and I uh, signed up for the environmental ethics class and then the animal ethics class. And I just really learned a lot about the the environmental first the environmental impact of what animal agriculture has on Okay, so that was the first thing to yeah. pull you in that direction. Yeah. It wasn't so much health, it was the environmental component. It was the environmental side. Yeah. Um and I was just really I would say uh that that was one of my favorite classes. I was, I was really really into it and um then started to learn about like the value side of animals and and uh you know, just the cruelty, you know, I didn't see myself as a person that wanted to inflict violence or harm or, or, or pain onto other people. So 
kind of transferring that same value system um, to our, our plate. Like, you know, if I, if I didn't believe in violence to, to you or to, you know, a neighbor, or if I didn't believe in, in rape or any of those things, like why, why was it okay that I, I wasn't okay with that for people, but I was okay with, with that creating those what processes, was on, processes, what was on my plate. Um, and I was participating in all these, these classes, but I wasn't actually making the changes until, um, I was w- having lunch with one of the girls from the class, um, Zoe, uh, Pallet, who's like an amazing. I know Zoe. Yeah, you know yeah, Zoe? I woke with Zoe for a few years during the cheaper show days. Oh like yeah, a decade ago. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, we were in this class together, and she was already kind of on that wave. And we're having lunch, and I got a burger, and she was like, "Zach, you're like, you participate more than almost anybody in this class, but here you are, like having a burger, not applying any of the things you talk about in class, and kind of just like a dumb, dumb moment." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you're right." Wow. And that was all it was. And, and that was it? Uh, well, I went vegetarian at that point. Yeah. Um, and slowly transitioned to, to being vegan. I think it took me like three years before I transitioned to being to being vegan. Hmm. And that was just kind of being lazy. Yeah. Um, but it's also not an easy transition to do it well and do it properly and eat well and get the right nutrients and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's easy to get all the, the nutrients and stuff. I, at that time, there wasn't a lot of vegan places in Vancouver. So if I wasn't making it myself or at home or, or whatnot, um, it wasn't like the mainstream thing that now you can go anywhere and there's, you know, a vegan restaurant every, you know, five shops in Vancouver, or at least there's vegan options. You know, you can go even right. The culture has changed. The, cu- the culture has changed. Yeah. So at that time I thought going vegetarian was good. Huh. Um, but it's kind of the same damages, um, that a carnivore diet creates, so does a vegetarian diet because, you know, meat and dairy are ultimately, uh, have the same impact that, you know, eat, eating actual meat has. Yeah. I think I'm on the very slow train towards veganism. You can do it. I call all my friends pregans. They're, they're going to be vegan. They just don't know it yet. Pregans? Pregans. Oh, pregans. Pre-vegan. Yeah. It's so interesting. I've been, we've been talking about it for a while now, my wife and I, and we really stick to meats that are very ethical, that were farm raised from local farms, those kind of things when we do eat meat. Yeah. However, so I think we're trying to, and we're, and we've definitely reduced the amount of meat. And now it just only in the last couple of months, I don't know what clicked for me. Yeah. I was actually listening to a mystic talk about the digestion process and, and the energy it takes and mm-hmm. just like to, to process meat, I mean. Yeah. And, uh, and it just, because he was this this Indian mystic guy was laughing about, oh yeah, you Westerners think you need to sleep so much, and I have I talk a lot about sleep, yeah, um, and I and I I still think you do need to sleep a lot. But he was saying, yeah, if you eat if you eat vegan, you can eat you can sleep less because you're processing less, yeah. less energy to do digestion, yeah, and that just was another step in the right direction. I mean. I get the environmental side. I think that's the biggest thing we need to all, we just all need to step up right now, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and yeah, I'm just personally making those choices now. And and suddenly, but it was so interesting that when the thing shifted in my mind, I started craving different foods suddenly. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was so interesting how that shifted. So we're now eating a lot of dal and, and beans and nice. lentils and things. Like suddenly it's just shifted for me where I was always, if my, my wife is a, so we eat vegan plus meat because we don't eat any dairy. Yeah. We don't eat eggs. We're allergic to eggs, so we don't eat any of that. So we actually eat vegan, but we often have some fish on, or yeah. some meat on the plate. But now yeah. we're 
shifting that. So it's interesting. I like that. Uh, you mentioned like the energy of meat, and that's one thing that I think about as well. If we're if we're all energy uh, positive and negative, and the energies that we bring to spaces, if we think about the the energy uh, kind of on a spiritual level of meat as well, like if you think about the process that these animals are going through, they're they're constantly in fear. They have extreme levels of anxiety. Yeah, if you're eating animals, like farm-raised animals or any animals at most restaurants, yeah. you're eating, yeah. So you got to assume- or Sorry, um, not farm-raised, but like uh, stuff that, you're buying in a supermarket kind of stuff. Yeah, factory-raised yeah. animals. Like it's 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 a terrible life that they're living and and kind of the the energy, the enzyme, the, the cortisol, like they're constantly releasing stress and fear and all of that is going to, you know, come through, come through into your body. So you're kind of transferring that into what you're eating. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. If you, you know, you can, there's a reason that that industry doesn't want to share the process of, of meat. Like uh, there's ad gag laws against filming, you know, how, how it goes from an animal to a piece of meat um, versus, you there's know, there's laws you, about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't film. Um, there's, wow. There's, there's lots of, it's a, it's an act of terrorism to, to film, uh, the process at a, a factory farm. And that's what it's called. It's called an act of terrorism. Yeah, because well, it, it started during nine eleven that you can film or, or go into those places because people were worried about uh, you know tampering food. Uh, but it's kind of taken on its own. Yeah, they've used that yeah. cleverly yeah. to continue hiding what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, hmm. You know, if you wouldn't show your kid how a cow was slaughtered, but you'd be happy to show them how a piece of kale was picked from a farm. Right. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting because my so my wife was vegan for well over a decade, and she actually reached a point where she was having some. She has serious iron issues. Like yeah. her, her iron was down at five. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so anything below double digits, like ten, is bad. Five is really bad. Yeah. So her doctors at that time basically this is a probably about a decade ago, we're kind of like, you need to eat some meat or you, yeah. you're the iron pills you're taking is not working. Yeah. Get some meat in you. Yeah. So she went, she started eating some meat again. And, but she was the one, she said like, if we're going to eat meat, yeah. we, we need to get our hunting license. We need yeah. to learn how to hunt. We need to learn how to butcher an animal. We need to be comfortable doing all of that. Yeah. Like we need to understand exactly the entire process yeah. of, of, of killing an animal yeah. and eating it. Um, yeah. Right. Like, so that we are, we are understanding and respecting what we're doing the here. The process. Of yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, if everybody did that, there'd probably be a lot less. 100%. Mediators. And like, I think you can take the the ethics of taking a life. That's a separate conversation. But the um, sustainability of hunting's, you know, way higher than anything else. Oh, it else. is. You yeah. Know, like there's overpopulation of deer and all totally. sorts of stuff. And uh, grazers often overgraze. Um, so, you know. Like, have you ever watched that YouTube uh, clip on like when they rebrought wolves to to no. one of the natural parks and just how the the park flourished by having a predator in the park? Right. Um, I think there is something to say about maintaining that natural state of um, yeah, yeah. Like, I think when we're doing things in balance with nature, then they make a lot of sense. But the way that we're we're just like so doing far a- from agriculture that. is just insane, yeah. right? Yeah. It's so wild right now that we produce enough food for like what 12 billion people or something, and yet half the, half the yeah. planet is starving. Yeah. And if if 
if a couple systems broke down right now, we'd all be starving because we have no access to food because it's so far away from us. Totally. Right. And if you think about the efficiency of it, like, um, I might be off on this by a little bit, but it's something like 70% of, of, uh, like, uh, soy and corn and all of that goes just to feed animals. So it's, it's not an efficient, you put like 10 calories in to get one calorie out of meat. So yeah. it's like, if you thought about it financially, it's kind of like a bad investment. Uh, if you're putting, you know, 70% of our food towards feeding these animals and that food represents 10 calories and we're getting one calorie of meat out of that, um, like it's a bad investment, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad return on it's, investment. It's a bad return. <laughs> and same with like the nutrients. Like, you know, we always talk about like, oh, your protein or, or all that stuff, but the animals are just kind of carriers of the nutrients. Like they get the nutrients from plants, like cows are eating plants and chickens are eating plants. And sooner yeah, it started with plants at some point, that's where all of the nutrients came from. Yeah. And then we're just eating a processed version of those yeah. in the animals. Is that what you're saying? Basically, like, wouldn't you rather just get it directly from the source? Like if, if I was like, you know, I can give you this, this meal that's not processed, that is a hundred percent pure, or I can give you this meal that's kind of, you know, gone through this whole process and it looks something like, you know, it's, it's, it's altered and you're getting like only 10% of the nutrients or right. Um, wouldn't you just want the, the original form? Yeah. That's super interesting. You're helping me make <laughs> change from my pre to V. Um, I like it. Yeah. That's interesting. I think with the vegan movement though, um, I do think it's necessary for, for the world to make changes. I'm not saying everyone needs to become vegan, but we need to, we, and that would be ideal, but we need to eat less meat. But I think the, the vegan movement needs to be more approachable and needs to be more inclusive. Um, less hostile, less hostile. Never like if I'm yelling at you being like, you, know, you need to become a vegan or you're, you're fucking everything up. Like you're just going to want to do more of what you're already doing. You're not going to want to yeah, join we're, this we're guy naturally- that's, Gonna, our ego is going to defend us. Yeah, you're going to fight and flight or get defensive. Like yeah. you're not going to be like, "Oh, that's really appealing." What you're saying to me, uh, I'm going to join that guy that's you know talking down to me. Um, so I think the the vegan plant based community has to uh, be more accepting and inclusive. Like I had a kind of a personal experience with that when I first went vegan. Um, every new vegan gets a bit r- righteous in their their thought process and they think, you know, we know best and, um, but that's never the right way to communicate things. We're having dinner with my, my family and my sister was having a steak and I kind of started preaching, you know, what, what that steak meant. And, uh, she started to cry and, uh, I love my sister so much. She's like one of my best friends. And I was like, fuck, if I'm, if my, if how I'm communicating this is making somebody that I care so much for, upset there's no way that this is the way to communicate this message to the masses of people and i i I think currently that's how a lot of the vegan community communicates their message is with anger and it's how all the communities yeah express their message right now actually i was just thinking as you're saying that i'm thinking how many people who are trying to do the right thing yes are doing it from the wrong place yeah or with the wrong approach yeah and in trying in trying to get us out of this downward spiral that humanity is in, yeah, like, but going about that from the yeah wrong vibe, yeah. Like if I made you a really nice vegan meal and we talked about that food versus giving you shit about having a burger or something like that, like what's gonna make you feel better, right? 
Yeah, what's more educational? What's more uh, accessible? Yeah, yeah. What's more human? I guess too, right? Yeah, yeah. If we can just be nice people, yeah, and connect with connect to people on a human level, and not make people feel like shit about their decisions, um, I think we can all probably right do do better. <laughs> so I'm interested, in, like, in what you're saying. I mean, um, taking that a step further, what do you see as you can say your role or as as each human's role, like beyond work, beyond like, what's our role in this life right now? Yeah, as as, as part of a human race. Well, I th- we're, a lot of people say that we're in the the twelfth hour, or the eleventh hour, and and you know the world's going to change. It's not like the world's going to disappear, but I think we're the world's going to be fine. The world's going to be fine. We're maybe not going to be so we're, fine. Exactly. So you know, if we want the world to be. I think having kids kind of changes this perspective a lot. If we want our kids to have the privileges of nature and fresh air and the world that we grew up with, I think we need to make some changes in how we live. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be an exciting thing. Like people get excited about Tesla. You know, that's a company that's making positive changes. Like we need to get off of, you know, fossil fueled cars and, um, we can use all that innovation and creative thought towards problem solving versus trying to hang on to, to an old mod- modality of thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've naturally evolved and I think we just have to, to let go of some things and continue to evolve, um, and kind of reconnect and reappreciate nature to, to do that nature being, you know, the trees that give us air and, and the animals that, um, you know, share this, this world with us, just Mm -hmm. appreciate and respect. And, um, if we can kind of reconnect to those things, I think we'll we'll be okay. Like we're, we're smart. We're good at solving problems. We just need to, to focus it on the right things. Yeah. And probably get on the same page about what the problem is or what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, like climate climate change is really divisive, but it should be uniting us. And yeah, um, I'm hoping that you know you kind of see this left and right right now. Um, I'm hoping that we can relearn to have conversations with people that think differently and mm-hmm. and try to come to some common grounds before we before we screw things up yeah. too badly. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I I um I read somewhere and I it just resonated so much with me that we are in an apocalypse moment and people don't understand what apocalypse means it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's yeah. like if you take the biblical term it means yeah. fiery damnation or whatever yeah, i don't yeah, actually yeah. know yeah but apocalypse is a greek word it means a tr- it's a transformation it's, yeah. it's moving into something that you previously had no idea was yeah. possible yeah and um we are in a transition the all of the major systems are, are shifting right now yeah and and what's interesting is like the an apocalypse is it's not a, a linear thing that everybody goes through at the same time. Yeah. Some people are post-apocalyptic, yeah. already know that we need to be vegan and we need to do these things and yeah. we need to like scale back this like mega growth machine thing of the uh, capitalism and the economy. Yeah. Um, other people are uh, uh, realize that something's happening, but they're clutching on for dear life. And other yeah. people have no idea. They're just living their life, going day to day, thinking yeah. that this is the old world and we just keep yeah. doing all the old things. Right? Yeah. And and that it's we're all in a different place, but this is happening. Yes, whether we like it or not, yeah, it is happening. Yeah. So yeah, I guess to answer your question, I want being a father, I want my kids to have the same 
privileges that I've had. Uh, mm-hmm. I want my kids to be able to enjoy, you know, going for walks in nature and enjoying trees. And I want there to be fish in the ocean and fresh air to breathe and, mm-hmm. um, you know, have moderate temperature like we've kind of grown up with. I just, I don't want the world, I want their world to be as good or better than the world that I was born into. So, um, kind of thinking about the changes that we can make. And that's one of the things I like about veganism is it's, it's, um, you know, I'm voting for the world that I want to see every meal that I have. It's kind of my, my tiny activism that, uh, I think has a big impact. Um, so just kind of trying to share that message and do it mm-hmm. in an approachable, inclusive way that, um, how do you go about that? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, I think obviously juice truck sort of lives, extends those values yeah. for you. Do you, do you, do you actively do educational events and things like that? Totally. Yeah. We do a lot of movie nights. Uh, those are kind of easy ways to, to get the message out without kind of pointing fingers. You know, you let the documentary kind of do the talking, do the talking. And yeah. then, yeah. Um, so yeah, we've done these movie nights a lot with, uh, with our friend Aaron Ireland where we'll share a movie and then we'll have group discussion after and really without judgment, just kind of hear people's thoughts and mm-hmm. share, share our thoughts and have, have a group chat and see where it leads. Uh, so we do a lot of those. We do a lot of pop-up dinners just showing how versatile and delicious vegan food is. Um, and, uh, we do like, we host nutrition talks, uh, so that people, um, you know, if they're looking to get the information on, if they're, they're feeling like, oh, I could go vegan, but I don't know if I could get all the the nutrients that I need. Um, just kind of showing how simple and easy it is, um, that it's not as hard or because intimi- change can be intimidating, but it's, yep. it, it's, it doesn't have to be. Cool. Um, so we're so creating a ripple effect through all of that. Trying to, yeah. Just plant, plant the seeds and hope they, they grow in the right way. Right. Yeah. And that cows don't eat them. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Revenge of the cows. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit, I, I a couple uh, questions I want to ask you. One is, um, how do you define success for yourself? Uh, I, I think success is subjective. It's a state of mind. If you if you feel happy, um, so yeah, success for me is is how I'm feeling, uh, how my family's feeling, um, if I'm providing, um, if my family's in a comfortable um, you know, creative space that allows them to, to foster their own their mentally, own. you mean, and emotionally, kind yeah, of thing? yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, success, I think, is kind of um, a state of, of of happiness and kind of a state of security in a way that your your family feels like they're they're able to to grow and hmm. um, you know, feel happy as well. Cool, and I'm and of course, um, being financially safe is is a part of that but you also didn't mention that because you mentioned you were talking i really like what you just said it you're describing it to me as it's a it's a mindset it's it's how you feel every day yeah that success and does that what goes into like how how do you make sure that that happens i mean you can break it down like sometimes i feel like so tired at the end of the night and I feel successful, like that I got up and brushed my teeth, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it can be small victories that lead towards big things. Like you can feel successful. Um, that's one of the one things I love about cycling. You know, you see a hill and it looks crazy and you bike up to the top of the hill and you feel 
like a success just from biking for five minutes. So you can kind of take all these small victories that are are little successes to themselves and and build them into something bigger. Um, so I love that. <laughs> I like. I know. I love it because it's it's really being very present in the moment about success. It's not something off in the distance that you hope to achieve. Yeah. It's you can have success at any stage in every stage of your life. Totally. It's not to say that I don't have big lofty goals of things that I want to achieve that will make me feel successful, but I can have little baby successes that will help me get to that big success. Yeah. Well, and and back to what we were saying earlier, if it's you can have lofty goals, but it's not about achieving it's not about winning those. Yeah. It's about the process <laughs> of getting there. Gotta win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and oh, and I just want to add it's also about winning. Yeah, it's also <laughs> It's also about winning and yeah. crushing your competition. Yeah. So that, that's success. <laughs> that's the main goal. Um, and we're filming this in December uh, or, or in, in November, but this pro- might not air till in 2020. So I'm just, yeah. I'm interested um, as you start to think about the year and what's something going into next year that, I, I don't know if you've ever done this exercise, start, stop, continue. Have you ever? I haven't done that, no. So I'm I'm interested if and whatever comes to mind, but what's one thing you want to start doing in 2020? One yeah. thing you want to stop doing? Yeah. One thing you want to continue doing? Um, I want to continue to ride my bicycle. <laughs> awesome. Um, Sounds like you get a lot of joy out of that. Yeah, I get so much joy out of riding my bike. Um, I I, lo- I love new challenges. Um, so I signed. I'm not really a runner. Uh, I just kind of recently got into it, but I signed up for a half marathon just to kind of challenge myself i love kind of going back to that idea of success like i think just giving yourself little challenges of things you haven't done before um kind of can contribute to that um and it's good to try new things just mentally and physically Mm -hmm. uh something i want to stop that's a good question that's probably the hardest one What's, what's something you want to stop well i've been in a period of transition and so i was actually thinking about this um, I, the reason I brought this question up is because somebody asked me it the other day and I was, I was like, oh, that's a good one. Cause, yeah. um, that's one, harder, one I thing think. I want to stop is I'm moving into this transitional period where I've got some new things starting up, Yeah, some other things winding down a little bit and, but I'm in this period of, it's a bit, um, nebulous. So, and I've had a few people approach me and go, Hey, do you want to do this thing? Hey, yeah. you know, new businesses or new ventures or investments and, and I get really excited about things. Yes. Like I'm a shiny objects of course, uh, yeah. entrepreneur guy. Yeah, 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 me too. And so I keep, I, I've twice this year, well, no, more than that, a couple, like two or three times, I've sort of been sucked into things Yeah. that at the mo- in the moment I thought I was really passionate about, yeah. but just they weren't actually for me. And yeah. I was not respecting the path that I'm on right now. Mm, interesting. And so one thing I want to stop doing is stop saying yes yeah. to so many things. I like yeah. can just really stay focused on I have I have a couple of really exciting things that we're launching in the yeah. next year. Yeah. And they're gonna be a lot of work. But I also want to have a life where I get to go in the woods and yeah. walk and I have time to like work on construction projects in my yard and yeah. whatever. Like I want space in my life. Yeah. So I don't wanna be so crammed all the time. So Gonna stop saying yes to so many things. I like that. That's that's my stop right that's now. That's your stop. Okay, I think I got mine. Thank you for yeah, giving cool. me the space to you got it, and for sharing your your stop. Um, this is one that I was thinking about that I've been thinking about recently. Is just the same values that I have from from veganism, um, applying applying them to more areas in my life. So 
um, I'm trying to stop supporting Amazon. (laughs) Um, As a local business that needs support from people, I need to support more local businesses as well. So, um, you know, every time I want to buy a book, I've always gone to Amazon and just ordered it. So the idea of stop supporting kind of these larger corporations that aren't supporting the local community. So right. when I want a book now, I go get it from the local bookstore. If I want something for for my kid, you know, I go to the local toy store and just, you know, business is hard. So stop, stop supporting the larger businesses that. Yeah. These mega businesses that are nowhere and not paying taxes anywhere. Not paying taxes, not contributing. They're just ruthless, it. right? Yeah. So I want to stop contributing to that and, put that money towards supporting local and um you know I, I have i still have um like a fossil fuel car so i'd like to stop using that <laughs> and get off of that because i think so you uh, want to start driving a tesla next year yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. your start yeah tesla if you're listening to this yeah hook you up get uh get steve rio into yes. a tesla have you myself. seen the uh have you seen the? Well, I don't want to go too far down the tension, but have you seen the Rivian? Yeah, so like nice. That? I think that's like my dream yeah, car these days. Let's get days. some of those. That's those, so, those are so cool. Do you like the SUV or the truck? I think I'll go with the truck. Nice, but maybe the SUV. We've been on the fence. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I but I do feel like that's the car that's waiting, or the next vehicle that's waiting for me yeah. in the next couple of years. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, just putting our dollars where where our values are. I think. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I like that. That's a really good stop. Um, and that's a hard, I mean, that's a big lofty one because yeah. it's amazing how hard it is to actually get off the Amazon Oh yeah. I mindlessly like wave. buy so much, so much shit on that. Like I'll like buy yeah. toothbrushes and like. It's just you know, so convenient. So convenient. Which comes at a huge cost to our economy or to our environment. Yeah. To our social structures, to our tax base. Yeah. To, to local community, all those things. Yeah. So sorry, Amazon. I'm gonna stop spending money with you. Wow, I I I hope more people get up the uh, guts to do that. It's not it's not easy. Yeah. Um, I I I can't yet commit to that, and I hope like I I think about it a lot actually. And and we are we do actually buy a lot of like we do our local grocery shopping in Vancouver at Donald's, and we yeah you know like we try to do a lot of those things local, and then yeah. buy on Bowen as well because we live in a small community there. Yeah. So supporting small community there yeah. where we can. Yeah. Yeah, I started buying books at um live in Steveston at the local store, and just like how grateful she is every time I order a book that's on yeah. stock. I'm just like, well, we bought Damn. some we bought some books at Banyan recently. And yeah. Yeah, it's just a whole different feel to go into a store like that yeah. and get your book and buy it. Yeah. It's just, it actually the um kind of what you're talking about with meat too, but just the energetic exchange that happens is yeah. a very different thing. 100%. Like you value the thing more. Yeah. There's a social community interaction that's really important. Yeah. I huh. like it. Cool, man. <laughs> um I also wanted to ask you about um psychedelics yes and you've had some experiences have you had you've had psychedelic experiences yes yes um maybe tell me like uh really just focusing in on what have they uh what have psychedelics meant in terms of your perception of yourself or the world (laughs) interesting i mean on a, a smaller scale like i think anybody that's done mushrooms before will appreciate nature more um, yeah, right away. Right away. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of declutters all all the garbage and bullshit that you don't need to focus on if you just do some mushrooms and go for a walk in the forest. 
um, I think we'd probably have more clarity and, and more peace of mind and more camaraderie if, if, um, more people did mushrooms to be, to be frank. Um, I haven't done mushrooms in a long time, but my experience is doing mushrooms, uh, when I was younger, you know, I'd go for incredible adventures in nature and just have so much appreciation and gratitude and, um, for the land that we live on and the trees that grow and, uh, kind of connects you to the, the basic essentials of, of life in a really primal, simple way. And, you know, just eat a few mushrooms. It doesn't try yeah. to take much on a, on a bigger scale. And I, I know we've kind of talked about this off the podcast. Um, um, I did ayahuasca when I was 20 years old and, um, I was traveling South America with my cousin and we were kind of reading all those, um, uh, like Carlos Castaneda, Timothy Leary, kind of like all that kind of stuff, kind of psychedelic literature at the time. And we wanted to, more of just a experiential um, journey, we wanted to try some of those things. So, um, yeah, we had we we found a, sh- a shaman. There's lots of like kind of touristy shamans in, in South America that kind of try to sell experience, but we found someone that we felt we had a genuine connection with or was selling a genuine experience. And we, uh, we did ayahuasca with him. And what was that like? So, I mean, okay. So we wanted to, to find someone that we thought was a legitimate shaman that mm-hmm. was going to give us a, yeah. And that was a while back. Cause then now it's even crazier. Yeah. This was, Oh, like 2004 or something right. like that. Um, so it wasn't as readily available as it is now. I think it's ayahuasca has had a bit of a... Um, it's become very mainstream almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we found this guy at um, a farmer's market in Cusco, and um, he was selling produce from his farm, and he also had some like crystals and gems, and he was also doing tea reading. So we did a tea reading with him, and... Um, we just started getting chatting and, you know, he started sharing about his, his third, third or fourth generation shaman. And, uh, so we started asking him about ayahuasca and he's like, well, if, you know, this is in his broken English and our broken Spanish. And he's like, well, if, you know, I do ceremony at the, the full moon, which is in a couple of days and you're welcome to come join me uh, on my farm. So he's like, just come, if, if you're interested come, come have dinner with my family at my farm. And, um, you know, you can donate, you know, an, an on, on, honorarium if you, if you feel it, like you oh, should. Oh, wow. So it's really just after the experience, you decide if it's was yeah. valuable to you. Yeah. And so it's he kind of- honorable he, way to do it. Yeah. So we went there and we had dinner with him first on his farm. And there's kind of two things that kind of like sold that, like this guy's something special. Um, first, his like five-year-old daughter led us in meditation and she was like, otherworldly like she was like five and was so kind of uh in touch with much more than i was as a you know 20 year old something at that point and um he talked about how you know in western society we're very restrictive in our parenting we teach what we can't do versus what we can do and he kind of summarized it by saying like i teach my daughter that she can walk on water but i also teach her to swim um so i just kind of like pondered on that for a while and then um this was kind of like the magical moment that sold us on him he was telling my cousin and i how we have to learn to communicate with nature and we're both like oh we love nature like you know we always go for hikes and you know talk to trees and all that and he's like well do they talk back and we're like 
no, ah, of course they don't talk back. And he's like, well, sometimes it's easier just to show than to, to tell. So I'll just show you what's possible so that you kind of change your parameters of, of what we can, can, can do. So he asked my cousin and I to whisper into his ear separately of where we wanted he'd a puppy and an older dog, where we wanted them to sit. So I said one, I whispered one place and my cousin whispered another and he just looked at his dogs and they went and sat exactly where we both whispered. And we were like, fuck this guy. Yeah. This guy's Yoda. Holy cow. Yeah. Totally blew our minds. Wow. And we're like, let's do some ayahuasca. This guy's, this guy's legit. Um, so yeah, that, that experience on its own was, you know, we realized we were experiencing something special and, um, out of our norm at that point. Um, so, you know, the next night we, we stayed the night at the farm and the next night we, we did ayahuasca with him and, um, yeah, it was very interesting. Like, so it took, took, you know, he drank, drank the ayahuasca back and he was kind of in his traditional shamanic, uh, kind of wares and he was dancing and singing and all sorts of stuff. And it took like maybe 30 minutes or so for it to kind of kick in and um kind of left my body right away which was really like a new experience and quite cool and um i saw my cousin leave his body as well and he went out of the hut and went for a walk into the forest nearby and if you ask my cousin what he did while he was on ayahuasca he'll talk about this walk he had in the forest even though his body was physically there the whole time wow um and that was kind of the fun part from there i kind of like went I kind of left, I guess, this idea of of my identity and was kind of this omnipotent kind of observer um, and kind of saw the Big Bang and saw the creation of Earth. But I kind of saw it through the lens of evil, um, like from like- So it was uh, very dark for you. Very dark, like Neanderthals killing Cro-Magnums all the way up to like Nazis killing killing people. And I was like in the perspective like of- of evil. And then eventually I kind of fell into this demonic state where all these demons were like kind of chasing me. And it was very scary. Like I was, I think I was biting myself at one point trying to feel like I'm like, I'm crazy for the rest of my life, like trying to feel real uh, or alive again. And uh, at some point I just kind of went crazy and started laughing like a crazy person. And at that point that I was no longer scared it all, all the scariness went away. And it was kind of blissed out again. I started try, like going to the mountains and the lakes and wow, um, you know, kind of astro traveling. Um, and then I finally kind of came out of it. And I asked my cousin, "I'm like, oh man, like hell was so scary." And he's like, "You went to hell?" And I'm like, "You didn't go to hell." And he just had like a blissed out experience the whole time. Hmm. Um, so th- the shaman actually recommended that we do ayahuasca with him for. Um, at least seven days to kind of get the full benefits out of it. Um, but we had other travel plans and kind of had to take yeah. off. But he talked about, and I felt this after, um, you know, other than having, you know, a mind-altering experience. Um, he talked about with ayahuasca, it's, it's you know, medicine, it's therapy for them. If you have a problem or an issue, you can resolve it through doing ayahuasca. Or uh, if you've kind of learned, you can also achieve it through meditation. But um, if you have any darkness or baggage or issues that are, are you need to resolve, you won't experience any sense of lightness on ayahuasca until you've resolved those. Hmm. So, um, you know, I can probably 
guess, a bunch of things that I was trying to resolve, but I did feel a sense of lightness that I hadn't felt previously in my life after kind of coming through that experience. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, so even though it was a dark, challenging experience, you you found a lot of value in that. Yeah, and I totally, I mean, I was 20 years old then, and I'm like 34 now, so... Uh, I haven't done it since, uh, and I w- I would be interested in trying it again to see being in a different place in my life, just kind of mm-hmm. seeing what it brings up and what the experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, because I had a lot of psychedelic experiences when I was around that age and up to that age and uh, early 20s and stuff, and then I stopped for a long time. Yeah. And I, it's only been in the last couple of years that it's become a big part of my life now and it's totally yeah. different now it's not recreational yeah it's really it's, it's intentional it's, it's intentional it's yeah. fully inward facing yeah so putting an eye mask on and lying down and like really going in wow. for four or five hours on something is That's just cool. a totally different experience and it's been it's been game changing it's yeah it's been really wild that's cool. Yeah. I th- I think the um the stigma on on drugs and psychedelics is changing too. One like with weed, marijuana, be- cannabis yeah. being legalized, um, there's obviously well the tri- amount of research that's happening. I don't know if you know, but there's just yeah. a tremendous amount of incredible research around yeah. the psychotherapy benefits. Yeah, of all sorts of these medicines. So totally. Yeah, and like, just the fact that they've been used for thousands of years. Like ayahuasca oh, yeah. has been is thousands of years old. Yeah, it's it's a ritual that everyone. Yeah, participated in it was a trans, you know. Yeah, I think we can, we can trust these ancient rituals and ancient medicines. They've yeah. got a lot more experience than our our Western, you know, teachings in yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, do you consider yourself uh, spiritual or religious? Or yeah, definitely, I consider myself a, a spiritual person. What um, does that mean to you? Uh, I think it's just like an outlook. Um, like I, I personally do believe in in god um and that's just using a word for uh, you know a greater energy um like i don't necessarily think there's a a, a, white, dude a, a, chair. a dude in a chair but i do think there's a universal energy that um kind of connects connects us all um i mean going back to my veganism I, that's part of why i don't want to cause any harm to to animals um i you know i don't want to they're all we're all spiritual beings having you know a experience on this this earth, and I don't want to contribute to to their death or violence or mm-hmm. or any of that. Um, so for me, spiritual spirituality is um, you know a, basically a, a connection with with all things, um, and and seeing that from from the conversation that we're having to you know, the, the trees and the ocean and the animals and, and just seeing that we're all connected and mm-hmm. um, kind of amplifying that to, to the universe in, in a bigger, in a bigger way. Yeah. When, when do you think you first recognized that interconnectedness? Uh, I was pretty fortunate. When and, you were 20 and I was in the jungle <laughs> yeah. and I did ayahuasca. Yeah, no. when I was high and no, I, no, but, I was well, tripping yeah. on ayahuasca. I was pretty lucky. Like my parents are very, um, liberal in their thinking Mm -hmm. um like my mom was always practicing yoga and um had a lot of you know was always reading different religious texts whether it was buddhist or christian or hindu um so had a lot of exposure had a lot of exposure like my dad uh lived on an ashram when he was younger so like it was more part of my upbringing like at dinner we'd have like 
you know, channelers over and psychics and all oh, sorts. Oh, so you of- had a lot of exposure to those kind of things because a lot, yeah, not, not a lot of us who grew up where we've grown up had any connection to that. So yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I kind of grew up with that. Like my mom was like a, a Reiki healer, you know, or is a Reiki healer. Like so, she was always, you know, doing that stuff. Like even in high school, and so it kind of stoked an interest um, from from a young age and kind of first, I guess, started from exploring different religious thoughts to mm-hmm. um, like, I think when I was like in 19 or 18, like just some of the books that are like, that are fairly uh, kind of, I guess maybe basic books, but I, I got a lot of them in the time, like the Celestine prophecy or yeah. the way of the peaceful warrior, or, yeah. you know, books like that. When I read those kind of just like blew my mind open at the time and, kind of um gave interest to reading more and experimenting more and learning more and conversing with people that you know thought differently or mm. um how, how do you stay how do you stay connected to that knowing about interconnectedness is it just not is it just in every action is there any specific practices or like how do you stay grounded in that yeah yeah that's a great question um, I would say I'm not always grounded in it. No, we're never. Yeah. Always. <laughs> um, oh, you're not perfect. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we got to stop this conversation. Yeah. Um, just reminding myself when I'm, when it's obvious that I'm not grounded in it, um, mm-hmm. to, to reconnect when, when I do meditate, whether it's headspace or something, I think that's like an easy flash to, to going there. Um, uh, and I same, I don't practice meditation regularly or often enough i did for a while but it's one of those things that kind of fell out of habit of um but going back to those um moments on on a bike or running i think just um when i'm running or or riding i'm usually appreciating my surroundings and that taps me back into it Mm -hmm. Uh, also being a father like when i look at my son and and i'm not distracted by my phone or my computer or business emails and I'm just truly present with, with my son. Right. Um, I think, you know, those spiritual beliefs, you know, kind of flourish in those moments. Yeah. So what do you, uh, what do you think happens when we die? Uh, well, I, I think there's, we're, we're, there's infinite lives personally. Like I think yeah. we're reincarnated or, you know, I think there is, uh, an afterlife, um, you know, who, who knows, but, um, I don't have any other than not seeing my son and my family. I don't have any fear of, of dying because I think mm-hmm. it's just a continuation. Um, the death of this body, but it's not a death of our soul or our spirit. Yeah. Well said. I, I agree. Um, so what does it mean to live a good life? To live a good life, ride, ride your bike. Um, to to live a good life for for me um is a is a healthy life um i want to be able to do the things that i do today until i'm old um i want to be able to enjoy walks and runs and bike rides and my family um and be able to do that in a space of mental comfort and physical comfort so staying both healthy um, through the food I eat and through the movements that I, I partake in. Hmm. Uh, I want to be one of those guys that's 80 and still climbing mountains and spending time with my children and hopefully grandchildren by that, that time. Yeah. 
um, that that would be a happy life for me. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Hopefully. Nice, man. And the same for my my family, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. healthy and being able to enjoy, enjoy the luxuries of uh, the world we live in. Mm-hmm. I think you're on the right path. I hope so. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Zach. Thank you, Steve. Right on. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can follow along with my life on Instagram at Steve Rio. For show notes and other info about the podcast, check out natureofwork.co forward slash podcast or find us on Instagram at natureofwork.co. And if you'd like to learn more about how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, how to increase the quality of your work while lowering the stress and anxiety you feel, definitely check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system that has transformed my work and my life, not only the quality of my work, but how I feel every day. And with that, I'll leave you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.